0: Hello, everybody. I am your co-host, Josh Miller, and with me, as always, is Mr. Steven Scarletta. How are you doing, Steve? I'm doing good, Josh. How are you? Uh, Pretty good. We are excited here to be bringing you, uh, you know, I guess you could call it a very special episode. Why are we doing this? What is it? Well, we will explain. This is An episode of our Patreon that is a tribute to the late, great Albert Pune, who is a filmmaker that we'll say a little bit about in a second. But the reason we're putting this up, one, is to seem like a good way to kick off the year, buy us a little bit more time while we're researching the other proper episodes we're recording. And we also thought it was a good chance to showcase what we're doing on our Patreon for those who are not yet a member of our Patreon, maybe you'll consider joining or maybe you'll just have fun listening to this episode and leave it at that. But this is an episode we did earlier last year, I guess, since this will be going up in January with our friend Ben David Grabinski, who you might know from the show and the two episodes we did with him. If you haven't listened to those, you definitely should. I think it's one of the better just kind of unmade career retrospective episodes we have done. But all three of us love Albert Pune and thought it would be fun, kind of a tribute to him. And it's the exact kind of thing that we can't do on the episode itself. And that's just sort of get into one topic. So who is Albert Pune? I think he's a, the exact kind of filmmaker that you maybe either have never heard of him before or you love him, which is very much our wheelhouse. But he is yeah. one of the all-time <laughs> great like low budget genre filmmakers of the eighties and nineties. And he just passed away a year ago. I think one of his movies is called radioactive dreams, but in some ways I think that's kind of a perfect way to describe his basic style. Um, Some of his better known movies are Jean-Claude Van Damme's cyborg, uh, the sword and the sorcerer from 1982, which, know would kind of in some ways helped along with conan the barbarian which was also 1982 really kick off that wave of sword and sorcery movies um he also did a great movie called nemesis he did the
1: trancers
0: trancers he did a lot of stuff with full moon uh charles ban empire doll man uh he's come up on our podcast before and sadly Mm -hmm. he's someone we always wanted to get on but by the time we'd started the podcast, he has already become somewhat sick. Uh, and But we talked about him on our Spider-Man episodes, because he had a famous unfi- unmade Spider-Man movie he was trying to
1: make. Right, Steve? He had quite a few unmade movies. I'm so bummed we couldn't discuss with him. Uh, but yeah.
0: I forget. Do we get into those in the this
1: tribute? No, not in our tribute. But if you listen to our Spider-Man episodes, we definitely... He's in the timeline for sure. Because, yeah, uh, yeah. And he,
0: he did end up making the much maligned Captain America movie from 1990. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, that's he's had a wild career. If you like post apocalyptic stuff and cyborgs and Absolutely rock bands cyborg. and <laughs> outer space, this guy who's one of those people who no idea could ever be too overly complicated as far as just jamming in uh cool ideas upon ideas
1: he is an auteur i would i would say
0: yeah uh and we miss him you know he's he was a guy who if he hadn't gotten sick would have just been making movies for years and years to come and you know he was very much of that 80s 90s aesthetic that we love here but anyway hope you guys enjoy the episode hope you consider joining our patreon And if this topic does not interest you, fear not. We just thought this would be fun. We have a whole slate of other unmade movie proper episodes coming your way. Welcome to Best Movies Never Made, the podcast where we explore interesting and infamous projects that never made it to or through production. I am your co-host, Josh Miller, and with me, as always, is Mr. Steven Scarlatta. How you doing, Steve? I'm good. It's the Patreon. Patreon. We still don't really know what we're doing with our intros (laughs) all over the place. But we do know what we're doing topic-wise on this, and I've been maybe kind of uncoolly excited about this like all day like I had some work stuff I was doing and I was barely paying attention because all I could think about was our topic at hand and that is we are discussing the films and career of Mr. Albert Pune with our friend Ben David Grabinski welcome back Ben David
2: I love that I'm here months later but this will probably be on your patreon not long after uh, this
0: will go up in between wow. your your part 1 and part 2 of your <laughs> yes mm-hmm. which we yes. recorded back in like june but had to delay because we knew we had to do our shark related tie in episodes to tie in with shark exploitation
2: I'm a whole different person now. I, I was hoping that we would just do a part three and really catch up on everything that's happened since June, <laughs> all your era.
0: other unmade projects. But then I remember
2: there aren't really new ones because we've been on strike. So
1: <laughs> no, it's you're true. on Twitter.
2: Oh yeah, yeah or or I'll never <laughs> call it X. But yeah, I was permanently <laughs> banned when we recorded this. A month later, uh, I am back. But so it's just a different world now.
0: You've been redeemed. Um, well, I guess just why we're even doing this or why we're doing this with you is that I, you know, I, I know Steve loves Albert Pune even more than me. And I feel I love him more than certainly your average film fan. And I know two other people who also are very obsessed with Pune. One is our friend Joe Bigos and then you, Ben David Grabinski. And the fact that we could sandwich your other episodes with this just seems too irresistible to resist. And also Ben David and I feel had been talking about Pune a lot because the American Cinematheque, which is a organization that runs two different theaters here in LA, did a whole Albert Pune mini retrospective after he passed away earlier this year. And Ben David and I went to go see Nemesis and then we're going to go see Mean Guns. And I feel like I kept comically thinking that was on like a day it wasn't or something
2: yeah, and then we both were like completely unavailable. And I'd seen it earlier this year for the first time uh, after he died. I have no concept of time. I think it was this year, right? The, this I last- do think
0: that was earlier. I mean the the strike is now kind of proving like covid lockdown where I'm having a really hard time remembering like like anything that happened before the strike feels like seven years ago.
2: Well, it's like September 2023 right now. And I was talking to a friend yesterday about a a thing we had done a couple months ago. And I found out it was September 2022. So my concept of time is a huge mess. But when uh, he passed, I went through a bunch of his that I had missed. uh, And Mean Guns was one of my favorites. And I was excited to see it in a a theater because it never plays. And they played a print. And then I couldn't go to hear, the, <laughs> the, hear all the Mambo music in a movie where their lead character, I believe only shot three days.
0: Ice-T. Yeah, I yeah, guess was, that uh, seems like the Highlander kind of-
2: Highlander himself, but we should probably- we, we, we Oh, probably... that
0: lead, I see.
2: Maybe yeah, we yeah, will like...
0: we'll, we'll work our way up to Mean yeah. Guns. I guess, actually, no, I take that back. I hope people will listen to this, even if they have barely know who Albert Pune is. <laughs> he's a guy where I feel like I don't even know enough about him in his personal life to properly set things up for people. Like, I know that he's a guy that my whole life I assumed he was foreign and then it was only in recent years. I looked him up and realized no, he's American and he was like an army brat and grew up in a variety of places, including Hawaii. But do either of you know, like any, you know, actual details about, him as a person prior to him getting into the industry?
2: Uh, All I knew, and, and he might know a lot more than me, and I've read like literally a, a book about him, oh, but okay. not a lot about uh, his personal life. It's more about just going through his filmography. But he was a guy who was like was in Hawaii and had a bunch of like-minded enthusiasts who really, really, really wanted to get a movie made. And he had a dream of making this movie, Sword and the Sorcerer, and no one would make it. And then there ended up that type of movie suddenly became really hot, and he got to take advantage of the fact that he had like developed on his own a you know sword and so- sword and the sorcerer, and someone ended up just being like ah fuck it we need some of these programmers let's make this with this guy and the rest is history.
0: That makes sense because that that was one of the things I really like trying to connect the dots in my mind. I didn't understand because I isn't that technically his biggest budget movie ever. His first movie?
2: It might be. I mean, I think that he reached a point where uh, they all started to get smaller and smaller and smaller after Nemesis.
0: Or maybe that that's his biggest hit financially. Maybe I'm confusing Oh, that.
2: huge, huge.
0: Hit with budget. It and made it just, as much he's as, one of those it guys, as guys as who seems like he exploded out of nowhere and I couldn't quite figure out.
2: Well, yeah, it was like his blank check movie, but but the blank checks that he got were very small yeah so it's like he got to make a a bunch of really small movies and he was the kind of guy who's just like a cockroach in the apocalypse and who just never ever stopped making (laughs) like he'll take any penny you can give him to make something uh one of my favorite quotes uh, that i was reading with his consistent cinematographer was that every single movie he made albert was convinced would go theatrical it never even occurred to him that it wouldn't so he shot every movie like in widescreen expecting to be out on, you know, a billion screens, like, all over the world, and, you know, even if he had several in a row that didn't get a theatrical release, he still just assumed the next one would, and he never, he never composed a shot or did anything because he thought it would be, like, end up pan and scan on VHS, so there's a lot of his movies that, like, even in this era, are still not in the correct aspect ratio, but he shot them like anamorphic. So you're, it is exciting like, though. Thirty-five.
0: Yeah, but but knowing though, for a guy whose movies were primarily straight to video, it is kind of amazing that in our boutique Blu-ray era, like the Nemesis Blu-rays, fucking great. Uh, and I'm hoping that. Sadly, he's one of those guys who I feel like his star is kind of rising because he died. And people like us are like talking more about him. I'm hoping he gets more and more of his old movies released. And I'm also hoping that Vinegar or Severin or one of those boutique labels does some big box set, even though I'm sure there's no way you could ever do all his movies because there are too many different companies.
2: There's some of them that like just are impossible to get good versions of. They would really like like Brain Smasher is one of my favorites and the only that's way to work. that's never
0: even it. been on DVD, right?
2: It's just like on Tubi, I think. A lot of his movies have never even been on DVD, and I just sort of have illegal copies of them. That's I, you know, got from some film enthusiasts. Uh, I'm not. Uh, that's pro- They're probably illegal, but I just don't think anyone could sue me because I like no <laughs> one cares enough about them to put them out, uh, which I think is criminal itself. But whatever.
0: Wait, Steve, what were you gonna say?
1: Yeah, like years ago, before we started Best Movies Never Made, I tried to do my own podcast and I only <laughs> recorded two episodes. But one episode I recorded was an interview with Albert Pune. He was kind enough to talk to me for an hour. I mean, Originally, I wanted to talk to him about Masters of the Universe 2 and Spider-Man. But we only talked about his very first part of his career. And then we got interrupted because he had to go to the doctor. But, but I could set him up really quick is that before getting to the Sword and the Sorcerer, what I learned from him was he he was in Hawaii and he got to go to Japan to work with Mifuni, and while he was there in Japan, he learned how to be efficient and work fast and work long hours, and he learned a lot there. And then he came back to America. He came to LA and he worked at Dimension Pictures, which was who made Kingdom of the Spiders and Human Tornado and about a, and a lot of exploitation films. And while he was at Dimension Pictures, he cut trailers, he learned about editing and he learned about exploitation films. And that's when he kind of got in his head oh, about okay. Sword that's and the Sorcerer. That's sort of the
0: piece I'd been missing in my own mind is that he seen, is what his like pre I got to direct my own movie filmmaking even was because he came out so polished that he, he was obviously doing something professionally.
1: Yeah. So he was like ahead of the like, because when he comes to America, trying to make movies, everyone works on a different, you know, it was like when Jackie Chan did um, Big Brawl, you know, he has this different mentality in America and everyone's moving much slower around him. So that's why he can, you know, pound shit out. You know, he just has that, you know, he knows how to be efficient and fast. And so, yeah, that's what took him to, as Ben set up with The Sword and the Sorcerer.
0: Well, then I guess getting into things, do you guys remember what the first Pune movie you saw was? Because for me, he's a perfect example of a guy who I loved a bunch of his movies when I was younger. And it was only as I started to get, like, as an older teen and was paying more attention to credits that I realized this one guy made these, like, really very different types of movies that I liked. Cause I kind of definitely grew up on his full moon movies. And I loved brain smasher in part because I loved Ford Fairlane so much. And because it was a bomb dice clay, you know, barely made any movies. And I think that was actually his first movie after Ford Fairlane. So it, in my little kid brain, it was kind of like an unofficial sequel, even though it's very different. How about you, Ben David? Do you remember what the first pun movie you saw was?
2: I have an interesting uh, relationship to his movies, which is that before I'd seen any of them, I knew him as a punchline. Which is there, I people had brought him up as if he was a bad director or it was like an Ed Wood style thing. And it's something that, like, I feel just so dumb about because I hadn't watched any of his movies because someone had been really snarky about him. But I've been obsessed with the VHS box of Nemesis. Oh, it's
0: such a like, great I, cover. It's
2: one of the coolest covers ever. Like, I always say, like, that one in Braindead were the ones that, like, I saw when I was younger where I thought, like, that has to be the coolest movie ever made. And then I didn't watch Nemesis because I thought it can't live up to the cover, and it just fucking did. <laughs> I can't remember the where I saw it the first time. I mean, it it could have been at Bigus's, but several years ago I watched it, and I got so obsessed with it that I immediately like started tracking down all of his stuff. And I was, I think I watched like Doll Man next, and I just started watching a bunch of it, and I became like a huge fan instantly. There's a little bit of like a Russian roulette thing to being a fan of his, where sometimes you hit play on a movie and you're like, this might not be that engaging. This might be a movie that I watch while I'm doing a puzzle. Or this might be like the sickest low budget movie I've seen in years. Like you never know which one it's going to be. And it feels like sometimes he didn't even know. Um, (laughs) But Nemesis for me, I was just like immediately like a fan for life. It was like, even if I don't like any of his other movies, Nemesis was good enough to like just take the plunge. And then luckily I found a lot to love in a lot of them.
0: How about you, Steve? You remember?
1: Yeah, my dad took me to see The Sword and the Sorcerer in the theaters. Oh, Um, shit. Yeah, I was I think I was nine. And uh, yeah, and it was, you know, he loved the swashbuckling aspect. I loved the gore. I think we tried to see Friday 13 Part 3 and the newspaper got it wrong and we ended up seeing that. And I was satisfied because the moment it started, I was freaked out by those heads in the coffin and shit. I loved it and he loved it. And uh, I don't think I recognized his name until much later, you know, because uh, I saw... I was obsessed with Down Twisted when it would play on Cinemax, like obsessed with that movie because it was just very different. It was just the editing style and it was just how fast-paced it was. And it's Wait,
0: that's his kind of like romancing the stone one.
1: Yeah. Right? But it it feels like it was like when I saw Larry Cohen's. Uh, island of the of the alive where it starts off in America and the next thing you know it you're in some other country and it just felt bigger, you know. And I, I just and you know it starts off with a fucking Oingo Boingo song and it has energy to it. And I was really obsessed with that movie as a kid and I loved Doll Man. And then when I had this roommate Carlos Castellanos in 92 he was like, you got to watch this movie Nemesis <laughs> and we, he rented that and he rented brain smash. And it wasn't, it probably wasn't 92. It was like 93 or 94. And we did that double feature. And then that's when I think the, the pun started to really click in my head cause he was like, this guy's the best. And then I, then, you know, there was an IMDB back then. You're just going off of the movies, you know, you've seen. And so that's when I really started to become like a, uh, like really into him and I also loved Cyborg when it came out I was a a Van Damme fan I
0: have to assume just like looking at the dates I have to assume that Cyborg was the first one I saw because I loved Van Damme at that point
2: that's what I wanted to add is that I'm pretty sure I saw both of the Cyborgs edited for tv on channel 45 when I was really young like late at night but the kind of world where like late at night is like 9 p.m but i think i remember seeing cyborg then like at a really young age i maybe like when i was like 8 or something you know i didn't know back then what directors were or or anything uh, and then I ended up rewatching that until like a couple years ago. I think it's, I think I saw Cyborg 2 first for some reason. I feel like Cyborg 2 played. <laughs> That's what
0: happens when you're a kid.
2: It played on syndicated TV a lot. I bet because it cost about $8 for someone to license it. You know, uh, there's like a lot of those movies that are like important to film nerds like us. And it was just because like people just needed programming and they're like, will you play Cyborg 2? We'll pay you to do it. Like, okay, yeah, sure. There you
1: go. I still haven't seen that. Cyborg
2: 2. Well, Cyborg 2, I think I watched because it was Casey Jones. Like, if you turn on your TV and then Casey Jones from Ninja Turtles is in a movie, it was him, Angelina Jolie, Jack Palance, like Billy Drago, like a crazy. Oh, Billy
1: Drago, he's good.
2: No, I mean, yeah, it's like all kinds of good people, but uh, I even remember then, I think I fell asleep like both times I watched it. Huh.
0: I mean, that's another fun thing about his movies for. For a guy who I've also seen that online where people compared him to Ed Wood, which I just find so bizarre. I mean, stupid. Even Ed Wood himself. It's like funny (laughs) that he was like, you know, the worst filmmaker of all time where it's like the worst filmmaker of all times. Movies are unwatchable. It's like people are still watching Plan 9 because it's kind of perfectly bad, you know, but Pew and like I get that he's not making mainstream studio movies, but I don't know how you could ever compare him to, to whether you whatever you think of Ed Wood when someone says he's an Ed Wood they're meaning it to say that he's this legendary horrible filmmaker but that's why his movies work is they're low budget they're often real rough around the edges but they're so well done and the ideas are so bonkers I mean the cinematography is always amazing I feel like he has a knack for finding awesome locations for a lot yeah. of his movies um, they just they always look way better than they should.
2: That's what so I think also- I talked about. I think the whole drive home from nemesis is like so many of his movies are like, he had $4, but a city that looked so cool on camera, like the production, like he found ways to add production value to his movies were like, he has an eye, like he knows what shit looks like. And he's like completely competent, but a lot of his stuff is just like, Hey, we sort of have a script and we need to have a movie done in like two months. And uh, can you go to Bulgaria? And next thing you know, you have something with like, you know, Rob Lowe or somebody, and they're all very watchable. He
0: always gets interesting actors. And that that's another fun thing. The more pune movies you see, you start to realize he has this like 10 or so actors that he just constantly works. I mean, some of them like Tim Thomerson or, you know tom matthews from return of the living dead and jason lives are seemingly in, in like every single movie he makes even if it's a very small part um but then there's like yeah there's just people work with him so repeatedly gary daniels is in a ton
1: the bad guy from a karate kid too i can't pronounce his name
0: yeah nicholas guest chris guest's brother is in they're I love one of them.
2: There's not enough of that now. Like uh, you know as a kid when I'd see stuff I'd love it. it's like oh Dennis Franz is going to be in a bunch of Brian De Palma movies. Like I love when people have that group of actors that they keep going back to. It feels almost like a road troop Like you know Z- Rob Zombie does it and like Gunn does it like on a much bigger level with his stuff, but I just wish directors were like that where there's like four or five guys that you're most likely going to see in their movie. It also just makes it fun, too, because sometimes you have parts that are a little thankless where it's like, well, we need to have a cop. But if that cop is Tim Thomerson.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You know, also, it's like if you look at it, too, it's like he worked for Empire, Canon, 21st Century, Full Moon, Dimension, and then Millennium. It's like the the companies that he worked for is I was thinking
0: about that as well. When just kind of looking over his filmography, um, because one of his that I've seen very recently and immediately fell in love with was called Raven Hawk. And again, we can talk about that later, but that was an HBO movie from that great phase where HBO, they were almost like the sci-fi channel where they had, they're just constantly churning out these um, original genre movies before they became better known for more prestigious, like golden globe winning tv movies about winston churchill or something this yeah. is like the era when they were doing you know full eclipse with mario van peebles and stuff and that was great that can happen to happen
2: to a network or something is that they get classy and Because <laughs> the second there they feel like there's a hint of prestige they can't go back and you're like uh, some of these places i'm like i kind of wish you just kept making wonderful trash you know
0: aside from what we were saying earlier too about the fact that his movies are all widescreen and gorgeous so they like unlike a lot of other straight to video movies they they really lend themselves to uh, the modern era but also you know and I, I guess perfect example of how diversity you know begats diversity the fact that he wasn't just some white guy you look back on his movies now and the casts are so diverse um it's really cool
2: you keep We're going to go back to this later. And I'm like, we're going to we're going to have having like a 45 minute preamble. And then we're going to try to run through his filmography in like 15 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, let's
0: get into the movies. Oh, no, we
2: don't even need to. I'm just saying it's like, yeah, yeah. There's too much to say. We're there There is too much to say. We just need to to make a documentary about him. And that's what we're going to
0: do. Honestly, when he died, I was like, I was going to hit up Steve. And I think I even did hit, hit up Steve. I don't remember, Steve, if you're the one who informed me, somebody's been working on a dock with him.
1: Yeah, someone has. It's on IMDb, I think. Uh, I, like, I don't it's know. It's one shot. of those things
0: that, that you know, was last updated in 2020. And, you know, when Steve and I started working on the shark dock in like 2017, so we can't complain, but.
1: Yeah, I wish I could have made one about him. <laughs> Uh, yeah, someone's already shot it. It looks like it's in post, but uh, yeah. Oh, I,
2: God, they can be Deep Impact. I'll be the Armageddon uh, doc. Uh,
1: <laughs> But uh,
0: I mean, because, I mean, yeah, it, it just lends itself to a doc perfectly because there's all these people who worked with him over and over again, uh, many of whom went on to, like, I, I was looking up his DP. You were just talking about him. I think I wrote it down. George Moraden is maybe how you say it. Who did kind of a bulk of his uh, best movies, and you know he's like a big TV guy now. I also hadn't realized that uh, Chad Stahelski, you know, John Wick fame, was the stunt coordinator on a zillion of his movies. Like, if anything, that's kind of how he got his start.
2: And he played the bad guy nemesis too. The thing, the thing that trips me out is like the guy who produced all of his movies is this guy, Tom Kurnowski, who went from producing like 40 Pune movies to now uh, Last Jedi, Knives Out, like The Post, Glass Onion. Like for, he does all of like Brian Johnson's movies now. And that's the dream. I don't know about you, Josh, is being on a movie set is to find out someone there used to make like weird genre movies like on the set of a studio movie that i was working on uh last year and i was talking to the producer who used to be a studio exec um about like where his career started and i ended up finding out that he wrote amityville about time so i'm like you wrote the time travel haunted clock amityville (laughs) movie (laughs) and then that's all i wanted to talk about
0: uh steve was there when i screened that movie. that
2: was epic
1: <laughs> one of my favorite <laughs> one of my favorite screenings ever actually that movie's uh, so
2: awesome the best way to do it is, is you clock f- in there that's just constantly chiming to add like the 40x experience of it
0: well yeah let's get into some of these the, the movies and again there's, there's too many to talk about but it i wouldn't say that his career has like phases because from the get-go he was always kind of obsessed with you know post-apocalyptic stuff uh and then definitely becomes very obsessed with cyborgs
2: yeah and women and women bodybuilders he definitely has a phase of that he has an iced tea phase you could you could put him into these weird sort of amorphous areas but it's all kind of the same thing from beginning to end just with various levels of money or time
0: yeah if anything right off the bat was his most diverse phase so yeah sword and the sorcerer which is obviously a sword and sorcery movie <laughs> but then yeah radioactive dreams um post-apocalyptic like buddy movie musical Dangerous, and the musical and dangerously close which
2: high school is
0: maybe his most normal movie in a way
2: it, it's so well shot it feels like a normal movie. But the premise is just deranged.
0: Well, here tee tee up for the listeners of the premise, because I also want to compare it to another movie that came out the same year, which I find kind of fascinating. But
2: uh, I mean the IMDB premise is a rebel without a cause at an elite uptight high school discovers some of his classmates have formed an even more elite clique, hell-bent on ridding the school of what they deem to be its undesirables because of ethnicity, politics, etc. It's like, uh, you know, like the kid from the wrong side of the tracks, new kid kind of thing, dealing with bullies, except it's they're trying to murder each other, if I remember correctly. It's a movie that's like best watched at like 1.30 in the morning.
0: Yeah, it's <laughs> like they, like all the cool kids form a clique, like a the vigilante Sentinels Clint. Something. The, yeah, the Sentinels to clean up the school. But my wife and I are obsessed with collecting VHS movies. And it might have again it was pre-strike, so I but I think it was just this year. I found this movie that I'd never even heard of. It's a TV movie called Brotherhood of Justice that stars pre-fame Keanu Reeves and Kiefer Sutherland. That's the exact same premise. The only difference is hmm. is that Keanu is our main character who in Dangerously Close is more the villain played by John Stockwell from Christine um, who's also in a bunch of pwn movies it just find out that they both came out the same year um but when i brotherhood of justice i was like hey wait a minute this is that, that pwn movie
1: yeah it's very um, stylized that movie and i think he got upset because he on purpose casted people that were older than high school students and so when the movie came out a lot of people like ripped it apart but he did it, it on head. but he kind of did it on purpose to be more stylized i know uh-huh. and then and then to go back I, I'm sorry. Go.
2: I was going to say the DP of that movie is this guy Walt Lloyd, and he, like his first movie I think was Dangerously Close, but he shot Sex Lies and Videotape, then Pump Up the Volume, which is like one of my favorite movies ever, and Zandali and Kafka, and then he became like the DP of like the Wonder Years and stuff. But like the guy, like and I, he also like the Santa Claus so it's like that was the only <laughs> he worked on down twist and dangerously close but then he went straight from that to like these huge fancy studio movies
1: crazy the power of tune <laughs> yeah but uh the cool thing about radioactive dreams to rewind back for a second one of my favorite yeah. things about that movie is, is uh uh if you if you've seen uh road warrior in the theater it starts off black and white in like uh full screen and then once the road happens it goes into widescreen and if you watch uh, radioactive dreams it's pretty dope the the the, f- the very beginnings in this crazy black and white and it's uh while they're in like the fallout shelter it's the same thing it's uh it's full screen and then the moment uh i think it's Stockwell and Michael Dudikoff yeah, get it in a car and they open the doors. It does the same exact thing as the Road Warrior where the screen expands and it goes into color. I, I well, love that. I and love to set up for shit. the
0: audience. The premise of that movie is it's about It's like, like a blast from the past. The Brendan Fraser movie, basically. It's about two kids who grew up in an atomic bunker, unlike blast from the past, uh, <laughs> where the world was not destroyed. This was a nuclear holocaust. And so it's a Mad maxi post-apocalyptic movie but they grew up in this bunker and i'm trying to remember but it's like they're obsessed with you know old film noir heroes so they dress they don't even dress like they're you know from just pre-apocalyptic times they dress like they're you know in a humphrey bogart movie
1: yeah and that's their names too one is Marlowe, and the other one's name oh i forgot I have to look it oh, I'm yeah, looking they, right now.
0: Hammer after yeah, ha- Hammer. Yeah,
1: exactly. And it, Michael Dudikov is in full-on bachelor party mode where he's just wacky and zany in the movie. He's not doing martial arts or anything. He's just to, it's, it's pretty wild. Yeah, and that is a
0: lot of music and then yeah. I guess jumping to After Dangerously Close, even more music is Vicious Lips which I had never heard of and stumbled on on Tubi in lockdown uh, and my wife and I watched it while drinking a bunch of wine as people
1: didn't lock down. I was going to say that's like a live action version of Gem and the Holograms to me.
0: Yeah. That's about, it just takes place in the future for no reason, which is one of my favorite things about just 80s genre movies is kind of the for no reason genre elements. Like it's, it's just a classic movie about a girl band who wants to go perform in some concert, except it takes place in the future in outer space. So, they have to get from like one planet to another planet, if I remember incorrectly, to play in some big show. And then obviously encounter sci fi obstacles along the way. But
2: I just want to stop us here and say that if this was his entire filmography, just the movies that we listed so far. This would be a filmography with like more ideas than anybody else. And we're talking, we're trying to rush through because he made like mm. 400
1: movies. No you're, no, you're you're right. You're absolutely right. Part of his his movies have
0: so many. And that's what I meant more by dangerously close. This is his most normal movie, even though that's extremely high concept. Well, it
2: takes place on earth present yes. day. And sword. there's no
0: cyborgs, <laughs> but yeah, viciously. And then wait, who is it? Which one of you loves down twisted? I feel like that I, one I,
1: deserves. I, I, I love Down Twisted. Um, Do you want to set it up for the listeners? Um, it's hard. It's like, it's just, it's a heist movie. And it's, it's, again, he's very, you could see with the editing of Dangerously Close, like, and the editing of Down Twisted, it's very MTV, you know? And it's it's kind of, it's a little convoluted. Um, I'm trying to go back to my memory. Well, I compared
0: it to Romancing the Stone just in the yeah. sense, they're very different movies because it's not really like, it's like a little grimmer in more serious places in places than romancing the stone but it's a what's her name carrie lowell from *License to kill and um, dangerously close the law and order tv show yeah and she was also in a, several other pune movies
1: and a great bad guy performance from tom yeah Matthews. she gets
0: like mixed up because of something her roommate who's tied up or mixed up with drug dealers and gets saddled with some stuff and gets shanghaied off to a cool desert or jungle not desert jungle location and i think she like hides in the late charles rockets car who's you know from a bad season of snl and i'm trying to even think of what most people would know him from this oh, to the... earth
1: girls are easy
0: yeah and dumb and dumber he's got oh yeah part in that but anyway like she wind winds up in his car so he gets kidnapped too and they like are... i can't even remember exactly what the you maybe remember better steve i just remember that It's a classic uh, Romancing the Stone, male, female, odd couple smashed together. And they're either trying to steal or get away with some super expensive item.
1: Yeah, there's a super expensive item and Carrie and what's her name? Uh,
0: Carrie Lowell. Yeah,
1: Carrie Lowell gets mixed up in it. They think think they think she has a key to a locker that has the item, and so she's kidnapped by these villains, and then she escapes, and they're after her to retrieve it. Tom Matthews and a couple of other people. Yeah, Tom Matthews
0: a, in there. <laughs> he's
1: great in it, actually. He's like totally different role than uh, Dangerously Close, but yeah, it, it's a it's a fun movie. I, I, I'm a fan of it. Like it's a very like I said MTV inspired movie but uh, I I remember him telling me that was the movie I kind of broke him because of those first few movies he made it was they were very stylistic and nobody got it and so he started to kind of step away from doing more stylistic approach to movies after those films a lot of directors like
2: that and it always bums me out where the because their first few movies weren't well received they like pulled back on the stylistic approach and I'm like no that w- that's not a problem man like fuck him. yeah doing <laughs>
1: no, totally
2: doing. but i i would say his next one alien from la is probably top three for me in his filmography i think the most underrated uh it seems i seem to be one of the only people in the world who like it there's a beautiful <laughs> there's a beautiful blu-ray that vinegar syndrome put out
0: i haven't seen it because that was one my friends and i rented when it was i don't know if when it was new um because it's an 80 movies 80s movie and i feel like we probably watched it early 90s but we had a you know we all collectively had big crushes on kathy ireland and that was a kathy ireland movie and the, along with you know necessary roughness scott bacula football movie <laughs> there weren't a lot of kathy ireland movies so i don't remember a lot about it other than it's one of those you know journey to the center of the earth kind of storylines where she finds right a lost civilization yeah She,
2: she accidentally like falls into a portal it's a little bit similar to the 90s mario brothers movie in a way where she finds this like subterranean civilization the production design is incredible i think it's really one of the best like world building no budget movies ever like i don't understand how it exists
0: but it's like mario brothers right where it's got that kind of like that you know max head I, I don't know i'm sure it has a term for it The
2: well it's the like sort a sort of real... rated movie with this scary nihilistic dystopian production design like that's kind of how my yeah, brain real grungy
0: it. version it's Like super mario version. brothers
2: feels like they're trying to do a blade runner style thing but for 10 year olds but they didn't like pull back on any of the darkness or like the scummy vibes of it but this has like a very light tone and she's playing kind of a goofball fish out of water character it's it's like very light in tone but i think aesthetically it's really interesting it's you know i'm not that i've encouraged anyone to do drugs but it's a really good movie to just get stoned and vibe with Uh, i'm a very big fan of it
1: i haven't i haven't seen it
2: if i if i could say anything in this completely rambling incoherent unprepared podcast (laughs) is that's the one that i would definitely check out i think it's really worth watching
1: yeah the the
0: one thing well that's what we're here for recommendations
1: well yeah because his next movie is journey to the center of the earth and what's interesting is is that uh pune was approached uh canon was making journey to the center of the earth and they were unhappy with the director and his cut and so pune had a meeting with them he pretty much said he would accept the job finishing journey to the center of the earth for free if they would allowed him to make alien from la for under a million dollars and so i believe he repurposed the sets from journey to the center of the earth so oh. i think they have the same type of vibe and that's classic Pune right there. Those types that's of
0: stories be I love. That's got to be an interesting double feature then.
2: If I remember correctly, I kind of half watched the Journey to the Center of the Earth, uh, whatever the next one was, and it definitely did feel like you know, something where like he had replaced somebody and it didn't have the same kind of It it didn't really feel like he, like, put everything into it. I mean, I'm sure he did. I'm not trying to besmirch. Well,
0: he was also playing cleanup, so...
2: Yeah, it felt like he was just being a professional and using it as a way to kind of move on to bigger and better things. And that's where you get into the big, you know, two roads diverge part of his career with Cyborg and Masters of the Universe and all that stuff. Which I think that someone on here should be talking about more than me. Uh, Someone as an expert talking about movies that didn't happen. It wasn't that then? Wasn't like Cyborg and Master of the Universe were supposed to be back to back? I can't remember the order.
1: Yeah. What well, What happened was the concept was he was going to get six million for Spider-Man. And what they were going to do is they were going to shoot the Peter Parker section first before he was bitten. And then they were going to go shoot six weeks of Masters of the Universe 2, which was 4.5 million. And then the actor that was cast as Peter Parker was going to go through a strenuous eight-week workout supervised by a fitness professor at at UCLA to get buff. And then they were going to come back and finish Spider-Man. But all this shit happened where I think they lost the rights to Spider-Man and Mattel uh they lost the rights to masters and then he pretty much like you said like you know they built they spent like a million or something on sets I don't know the exact price off the top of my head and then they were like let's re you know refurbish them what's the word like my, my fucking grammar and then for <laughs> for cyborg and that's what they did
2: that and I love every uh, back then people would say, Oh, we're going to go be supervised by a doctor at UCLA and we're going to do this fitness <laughs> and it's everyone just, they can't say steroids. Like everyone, it's just, all, you know, <laughs> we're, yeah. we're, you're going to get on steroids. But, but like back then you go know, any interview with Stallone or anyone in that era who like, you know, you see them in eight weeks later, they're inflated. They're like oh well I just you know I have a really good trainer and I've been eating Brussels sprouts and then <laughs> you're know, like yeah, I can see the needle marks man <laughs> like <Yeah. I>
1: <laughs> it's like rock it's like the Rocky Four Dolph Lundgren workout in that movie they're just gonna take him to Russia and have him Look train him him. the machines <laughs> yeah, exactly uh,
0: uh, well that so touching on cyborg a little bit so I screen that uh, for listeners um, twice a year with. My buddies Brett Berg and Mike Williamson. We do a six film, 16 millimeter movie marathon. And the one we did earlier this year, we played Cyborg, and I'd not seen it in a very long time. It, the thing that blew me away most watching it, I'd never seen it on the big screen for one, but is how barely a movie it is in a lot of ways, because it's just all pure pizzazz. Like the cinematography in that movie is so almost unnecessarily fantastic. And there's very little story. Uh, and I mean, that's not meant to be a critique. It was, just, that was my main takeaway. Because I have such vid- vivid memories of that from a kid because the imagery in it is so great. And speaking of another guy who's in all of his movies, um, Vincent Klein, who I think a lot of people probably who've not seen any Pewin movies, probably mostly only know from War Child and Point Break, even though it's a very... <laughs> small part, I feel he has such a memorable look, it sticks with you, but his look is the villain in that. And for some reason they like looped over his voice with a different actor. I don't know what the backstory of that is. I don't know if Pune felt that his voice wasn't scary enough to be this
1: evil villain. I didn't know that. I know it was taken away from Pune and that's why-
0: Oh, I bet that's why, yeah.
2: he released yeah, direct. I think they role. cut out a lot of the plot and then I think they du- someone else dubbed over the voice.
0: Oh, they cut out the plot. That's interesting. Yeah. So that's why it has seems to have no story.
2: It's I just a, have to say that back off War Child is one of my favorite lines. in movie <laughs> <laughs> It is pretty badass. Right yeah, I,
1: I think Cyborg's my favorite of Pune's.
2: Uh It's just relentless. The chasing. style's just
0: so good. Yeah, and it is.
1: Yeah, it's an endless chase scene, basically.
0: All right.
2: So, do you guys know about this movie Deceit that he made next, or how it was made? Because it's I one of my. Favorite
1: I've never seen, I've seen it, it and I, I I know the story behind it, but I don't know. Yeah. I've never seen it.
2: So deceit. Spent, David. So he got money to do some reshoots for Cyborg. So he wrote a hundred ten-page script that he filmed without telling the financier in three days where they're shooting 35 pages a day, using the cyborg sets, using the whole crew. And he made a movie using their money without permission that I think he wrote like overnight. And this is the premise two outer space aliens visit earth with the intention of blowing it up, but they meet a hot blonde and decide to postpone the planet's destruction in order to try to score with (laughs) her. it's a comedy sci-fi and it's like a yeah. man style kind of a few people in a room like dialogue piece this is the kind of thing that makes me just think this guy is the fucking best because Amazing. he just someone's like we, we're we gonna give you some money for reshoots and he's like for five days he's like what if i do them in two days and i use the other three days to make a whole new movie <laughs> just God bless. it's
0: starring Norbert Weiser, who's also in a gazillion of his movies. Yeah, it's pretty. I gotta badass. check that one out.
1: Yeah, I think it would have happened was they they as he has been saying, they wrapped on Thursday and then he shot it Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So all the equipment could go back on Monday unnoticed.
2: Yes. <laughs> I missed one of the best parts of that story, story, but even what
1: too, a stud. I've never Pune. seen it. That's one I haven't seen. It's
2: it's it's an it's like a really great curiosity. Like it doesn't really mm. hang together, like it, it it sort of works as much as you sort of think it would, but it's super interesting from a filmmaking perspective. And just looking at it as this exercise of what this guy did, it's it's fascinating. And it's like before he makes Captain America.
0: Which is his next one. I bet that's where a lot of the Ed Woody stuff comes from with him because Truth be told, I feel probably a lot of people who would be talking shit about him haven't even seen very many of his movies, but Captain America was definitely kind of a punching bag movie, from what I remember.
1: Yeah, it wasn't his fault because it was was uh, what is it? Uh we talked about on our podcast, uh, what is it when Canon split up and the one guy got the rights to uh Spider-Man. I believe he also got Captain America. It was yeah, 20- that was Menachem Golan. The 21st century. So they didn't have all the financing in place. So I one of my favorites, it's a horrible story. It's the one day they didn't even have film in the camera. They didn't have enough and uh, Albert Pune kept that away from the crew, casting crew and shot a day without film.
2: He oh, said he was he didn't want people to be disillusioned so he did takes that they weren't actually filming
1: is that like it's it, wow. it, that hurts my chest to think about especially <laughs> you know i've never directed a feature but
2: i think instead of focusing on something that's kind of a bummer uh, we should focus on something that fucking rules which is kickboxer 2 the road back
0: <laughs> which Kickbox, i've never seen so i leave it that is to you
2: so unbelievably great Uh, It's so funny, too, because it's like a David, David S. Goyer wrote it and like the VHS and DVD box says from the writer of Blade 2 on (laughs) it. Um, But it's Sasha Mitchell and from Step by Step, which I used to watch like every Friday as a kid on TGIF, and he played this airhead character and like after there's like a million episodes of him just being the comic relief, the, the daughter's in trouble. And then he suddenly has kickboxing skills and beats the shit out of everybody. And as a kid, I didn't know that this guy was like a kickboxer turned actor. So it was like mind blowing to me to have like the comic relief be doing like straight up ninja stuff. But he made two, he made kickboxer two and four um, that starred Sasha Mitchell. Uh, I don't, Suggest you ever look up his Wikipedia because there's (laughs) real life stuff with that guy. But he's a very, I think, uh, engaging action performer. And like Brian Austin Green's in the movie. And it's it's one of the ultimate, like, there's a guy who has like a kickboxing gym in LA, but he's really just trying to help local kids in trouble. But then like corrupt people, like want him to like go to their side instead. But he doesn't care about making money. He just wants to like... (laughs) enjoy like the art of kickboxing and helping kids. And then he eventually ends up having to like kick the shit out of everybody reluctantly. And it's just, it's a blast. I, I watched it recently on Tubi or one of those, like, you know, the apps that have like commercials and stuff, but man, if you ever want to watch a fun nineties direct-to-video kickboxer sequel, that's the one that that's what I would think. <laughs>
0: David Goyer. Now, not to jump ahead, but it's interesting since Goyer wrote Arcade. Uh, but wait, we'll get to that. Uh, what about Blood Match? That's another one I haven't seen.
1: I
2: don't know anything about it. I wish I did.
1: It's very strange. It's the first time I watched it. I did not like it at all. And then when I watched it a second time, I kind of knew what to expect and it, and it opened up to me and I enjoyed it a little bit more. It's a tough one because, you know, it's uh, Tom Matthew kidnaps all these martial artists and it's like a revenge plot that's, and uh, Benny the Jet is in it, who is, has like one of the best screen kicks of all time. I think it's in Dragon (laughs) Forever. He's fucking amazing. And, but the problem with the movie is you don't know who the villain is or who the good guy is or who you're rooting for because at the very ending, the twist is unfolded and everything comes together. So it's a very strange movie where Tom Matthews, it's like torture porn in a Las Vegas ring where all these martial artists are tied up and one by one they get untied and Tom Matthews beats the shit out of them and talks about what happened to his brother. It's very strange pacing and it's almost like if you've ever seen the Captain America director's cut, the way that starts. It's just that weird, brooding, strange ah. pacing of a movie. Uh, it, it, I, I it grew on me, but the first time I watched it, I did not get it. So it, it's a tough one.
0: I like that the main character's name is Brick Bardo. <laughs> well,
2: that's the thing I want to talk about is Brick Bardo is the name of the lead character in Dollman. Like, that's the thing that's fascinating. <laughs> blood he has multiple oh, shit, movies. Right. He has multiple <laughs> movies of the lead character's name is Brick Bardo, but they're n- no relation. <laughs>
0: that's kind of like that phase in the multiverse. 80s where for some reason stallone was obsessed with the idea of playing a character named Cobretti that everyone calls cobra because <laughs> that's what he wanted to change axel foley's name to in um beverly hills cop when he was briefly attached to it he just lo- he couldn't he loved this idea and i also liked that pune was making these movies and reusing it he was just like nobody saw that movie they'll see doll man but that does bring us up to doll man which along with cyborg was definitely because i i was a big full moon uh i guess for people who don't know full moon that's the company charles band started after empire and empire is all his movies that i feel have stood the test of time a little better um a lot of the full moon movies are pretty forgotten, but Pune did Dollman and Arcade, both of which I loved as a kid, especially Dollman. I just liked Tim Thomerson, and it's such a great, silly concept. And the concept of Dollman is just that, yeah, Brick Bardo, I totally forgot that was his name in that. I just think I called Dollman in my head. Uh, <laughs> Tim Thomerson is Brick Bardo, who's like the most badass cop on this planet. And then through the circumstances of the setup, Goes on through on a spaceship and crash lands on Earth, and you realize that it's sort of the inverse of you know Superman, which is that people his planet is very small, and so everyone on his planet is tiny, and he's this super badass with like a gun that is even though it's tiny, it's powerful enough to shoot like a human, but humans are all you know giant monsters to him, and he has to partner up with a you know an Earth cop to go fight some dudes it's, it's such a you, you could almost remake this now even though surely it would not be as totally insane
2: it's incredible and i and i think people have been looking into it i've been hearing about oh, that really but it's almost like the jack and the beanstalk kind of thing but instead of going up a beanstalk to a land of giants it's like you go to another planet and instead of being jack you're like a badass 80s cop And it's really stylish and it doesn't feel cheap. And it gives me a headache watching it, just being like, how did they do this? Like, it's so the degree of difficulty of making him seem small in every scene without having a ton of resources. And it never feels cheap. It's just a cool movie. And it's like he's the size of a doll. So it's
0: (laughs) Tim Tomerson, not enough Tim Thomerson movies.
2: That guy has so much charisma i don't know why there isn't like eight movies with him and tom atkins as brothers uh, like That that's uh,
0: still alive I'd, I'd still watch it but that brings us up to nemesis which we already kind of teed up a little bit but there's certainly i, I think you're only right, ever
2: gonna watch one movie some people say cyborg but to me it's nemesis nemesis is like top tier cyberpunk and has maybe a five-minute stretch in it that is as good as any of this type of movie, I think. Uh, I'm a huge, huge fan of it.
0: Do we know... uh, I guess I could look that up right now while we're talking. Did Chad work on Nemesis?
2: I think he just worked on two, and he's credited as the bad guy. I have the DVD set of all the Nemesis movies, and I've watched them all in a row, and that is a fascinating experience because the style drop-off is nearly infinite (laughs) in the field. But they're really interesting. But he he plays the bad guy, Nemesis 2 Nebula, who's, I think his name is Nebula. Yeah. Uh, there's one really great stunt where he like falls 10 stories, like, well, on fire and so wow. he's, like, shooting at that's, him, it, it while wearing heavy makeup of like an alien character. That's a great sequence. Yeah. Uh, it's, mean,
0: yeah. And lots of cyborgs in this because Pewen loves cyborgs. But yeah, it's, it's sort of a weird, like, I guess you can't say Blade Runner riff of a cop who fights cyborgs, who gets fucked up like Robocop and gets brought back now, kind of as a cyborg himself, which I guess is fun because it allows for his action scenes to get even crazier. But, and that's why I feel like this, I don't know if this has been memed yet. It's definitely meme worthy, or like a gift worthy rather. That had this is the movie that maybe some listeners, even if they haven't seen it, have maybe seen a clip of where our hero, I'm brain farting his name at the moment. Oliver, uh, or is it a he's French? Is it Oliver Grunier or Olivier Grunier? But whatever, he plays our hero, martial arts guy. Probably
2: Olivier Gruner? Gruner? Alex Rain, which is a cool character name.
0: Yeah. Is he gets attacked in like a hotel or apartment building, and his way of escaping is he has two machine guns and he just shoots like a ring in the floor you know the bullets blow out big chunks of the floor so he falls straight through but he just keeps doing that and i feel he falls through like four or five stories just shooting a hole in front of himself len
2: wiseman got a whole career from ripping it mm-hmm. off isn't oh, that totally. exact
0: stunt in one of the underworld yeah. in, in movies
2: the first underworld it was the big trailer moment as she shoots like a circle on the floor beneath her and then it just keeps shooting through the floors beneath her so she like falls through all of them and but it's nowhere near as cool.
1: No, because the camera is up against his face while he's going down, it's that POV. Yeah. And also- It feels Nem-
2: incredibly dangerous.
1: Yeah, Nemesis has some awesome bullet time. That's the one of Pune's staples is his bullet time, which is used a lot as used in Nemesis 2 also
2: the the nemesis sequels are later i'm just going to discuss them and then we'll just not get back yeah yeah i've never
0: seen two or three for some reason i've seen four i don't know why (laughs) (laughs) like
2: he had like money to shoot two of them back to back but then spent all of it on one of them so then the next one is like 90 percent flashbacks to the previous movie and most of them are like starring like this really ripped female bodybuilder
0: It was also it, in four, right?
2: Yeah. And then he it all leads to one that ends up being like this sleazy drug addiction movie shot in like Eastern Europe. Which one is that? I, I think I, that's I, four. I think that's or, four. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Cause my memory I, of four is just that it's this, yeah, very buff female bodybuilder. And it, every, it's just like every 10 minutes. She's assassinating some dude, but she gets completely naked for all those scenes. And then they cut has sex with some of them and then kills them in weird cyborg ways, but it's barely a movie. I've only seen the wanna,
2: second one. I just want to apologize everybody. Like if this mm-hmm. was like a, a job or not a Patreon podcast, I would have spent a lot of time preparing and making notes and I didn't. So I'm a lot of stuff might be incorrect, but I just want to say that the fourth one has uh like Andrew devoff I don't know how to say his fucking name, but he's like Cherry Gans from another Forty Eight Hours, and he's in. He was on Lost.
0: Yeah, he's, he's a, the bad guy in Toy older. Soldiers. just he's awful. the Wishmaster.
2: Yeah, the guy is just always awesome, and he's really cool in that movie. But that was one that was made for like one percent of the budget of the first <laughs> Nemesis. Like every Nemesis he made after one had like less money and less money and less money and less money. And less money. But I don't think it's necessarily Diminished Returns as I think four is probably my favorite after the first one. Yeah.
1: I've only um, seen the first two, but I like the second one because it's like the Terminator and Predator in the same movie. It's like a baby is sent back to Africa in 1980. And then 20 years later, you know, this the Terminator Predator comes to track her down and has the Predator vision. And like you said earlier, that sequence when they're the explosion and then they're, they're falling and he's on fire and she's shooting at him. Is dope, and there's another great sequence when she's on top of a building and she fires at the floor at the alien creature and he falls down. But um, but yeah, none of them have as
0: cool posters as the first one, though. Uh, yeah, ben David said so all-time
1: great. So it's worth it watching it. it
2: maybe my favorite to video poster of the nine of the whole nineties. I don't know if there's a better one for like an action sci-fi movie than that. There's so many like huge budget movies now that don't have posters as cool as no. that. Um, man had a, a very good Brain Smasher was after tape. that, which we've talked about, uh, which is... Well, no, we
0: skipped over one I'd never... I was unfamiliar with, and Ben David, you hyped it so much that I watched it. Nights.
2: Uh, Nights is after Brain Smasher.
0: Is it? Yeah, uh, well, I mean, they're both 90s. Better Boxed is lying to me, then.
2: Well, according to IMDb, it goes Nemesis, Brain Smasher, Nights. So I'll talk about them in either order. But Nights is... Um...
0: More cyborgs.
2: Uh, but... It's like a Sergio Leone, Wusha. How you say that word? Movie in the West with people like using doing like the stunts where you're like bouncing off of trampolines instead of like doing wire work. The fights are incredible. It's a super awesome movie. Where like Chris Christopherson is a cyborg. The score is so cool. Like as a mood piece, it's so great because it's, it's like
0: definitely one of his. Um... Kind of most, along with like Cyborg and not to skip too far ahead, but Raven Hawk of great like desert cinematography, Pune movies. An unbelievable
2: use of the American West. Like just every single shot has this beautiful location, really great frames. But the action choreography is genuinely great. You can go to YouTube and just like type like Knight's fight scene, and it's just unbelievable it's like it's when he when he passed it's one that i was like texting a lot of people it's like just watch this scene from nights guys
0: yeah lance henrickson's the villain and he has this insane almost like hellboy style super robot arm
1: (laughs) plus they're like vampires in it they're just like yeah cyborgs who have learned
0: to i like cyborgs are programmed to die after a certain point when they run out of fuel and they've hacked themselves to like run off of human blood. So they just keep capturing humans and draining them. It's
1: pretty cool. It's wild to see Chris Christofferson doing martial arts. I know it's a stunt man from far away. They keep cutting from the back, but- um...
0: Yeah, it's a little bit of precursor to him in Blade, I
1: suppose. But you nailed it with the Lucia thing totally because I was trying to figure it out because it was almost like there's a trampoline to enter the scene and to exit the scene, <laughs> which is bad, which I love. I love wire work and that type of because I love Chinese ghost story. And that's what I was totally getting
2: vibes from it. And It's, it's well, probably no,
1: one of his best. no, no, one, action. In
2: the, just, no one in the direct to video market had seen any of the movies he was inspired by, so it was just kind of incomprehensible But the fascinating thing is some of the action is similar to like the same thing that happened in Big Trouble in China when Carpenter was doing that stuff. But then his next one, Brain Smasher, tonally is very similar to Big Trouble in China with like nowhere near as good. That's like my favorite movie of all time. But it's definitely like a a guy who thinks he's a badass, but not. But he kind of is. But also just a guy whose nickname is Brain Smasher because he's a bouncer at clubs and he beats the shit out of people who like get out of line and he wears
0: and a jacket that says brain smasher. Yeah.
2: It's just, he. but the title is brain smasher, a love story. So it's Andrew dice clay and Terry Hatcher. And it's a guy named brain smasher and they have a love story and they're chasing a MacGuffin and they're fighting ninja monks and it's a blast. And, uh, that's on another one of those like, uh, streaming services with commercials was where i'd seen it but man that's one where i just really wish one of those boutique labels would put out a good version of it
0: yeah i don't i definitely not been out on dvd i feel like that was on hbo a lot when i was a kid uh and then does arcade come next yeah and that was another full moon one i loved where kid from a christmas story peter billingsley
1: Uh, and seth green great megan ward megan ward was actually originally supposed to be the lead in nemesis oh wow and then a.j. langer
0: from people under the stairs and my so-called life real great cast but yeah oh and one of the bad guys i believe is the actor who plays q in the star trek universe but as a classic evil video game they remember gave me kind of vibes with that Emilio Estevez segment from the <laughs> anthology movie Nightmares where he's like the world's greatest video game player. One of
1: my favorites.
2: Arcade is fascinating because they changed almost all of it in post so that the video game, they got sued, I think, by the makers of Tron because it was too similar to it. So they changed the whole aesthetic of the game that they're in. And you can find it online um someone had sent me a video like a really rough video of like the work print before they had to change all of it and it's just unbelievably different oh, I'd love to see that <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll send that to you it's it's a fascinating i watched both of them back to back it was fascinating oh, that sounds rad. i want to see that thank you
1: and
0: then yeah after this point is definitely where his career gets spottier for me as far as number of them i've seen because i haven't seen kickboxer 4 hong kong 97 or spitfire
1: yeah hong kong 97 i'm not a big fan of but it's a very it's like definitely his john blue double fisted guns slow-mo starring
0: robert patrick
1: it does have a wild opening Ming when nice yeah Yeah, Robert Patrick's having sex with a woman in slow motion and these dudes are crashing into his room and he's like naked firing at them. That's pretty dope scene. But uh, it's got uh, Brian Thompson, not Brian, Tim Thomas in it again. Yeah. And And
0: Brian Brian Jones or James.
1: Brian James. Yeah, I always love I love their team up in Nemesis and in Brain Smasher and they're both in this. And Brian James, you keep thinking he's going to be the bad guy, but he's not. He's actually a cool guy in it. Uh, but I, I wasn't a fan, to be honest, of Hong Kong '97. It's it's like later on my list of, uh, of my list of his favorites. But what it's stylish.
0: Bitfire. I don't know this one either. Lance Henriksen and
1: it's like his attempt at doing a Bond movie. The only thing I remember is the opening credits look like a James Bond movie, and it's about a gymnast. And I I thought it was going to be like Jim Cotta, but it's really not. Um, not much memory of that one. I saw it many many years ago.
0: Chad Stalski is listed in the cast of this one. Then I've seen but barely remember Heat Seeker. That's another, that's like a cyborg
1: (laughs) tournament. Kickboxing.
0: (laughs) It's like blood sport with cyborgs.
2: Well, it's, it's more, it feels a little bit like Mortal Kombat inspired as well. It's kind of a little confused in terms of like what its inspirations are and stuff, but I thought it was interesting. It wasn't like it was that was one that like I while I was watching, I was like doing a puzzle because <laughs> not, not all of it was like super engaging, but I thought it was really worth watching. Yeah,
0: and Gary fight. Daniels is the like cyborg kickboxer in that. Right. Yeah. You know, Steve's a big Gary Daniels fan.
1: Yeah, it's not I don't have much memory. I just remember the action scene, the fight. I love tournament movies, but they were all shot from far away. It seemed like I have I don't have much memory of it, but it didn't really stick with me. And I didn't see it that long ago, to be honest, but it's not bad. But it, I think it was the the fighting was I think the fighting was actually good in there. Right, Ben? How did, you, do you remember the?
2: Yeah, I think it's just the non fighting stuff kind of it, it's sort of like they didn't find really a good way to kind of keep you engaged in between that stuff. But I thought it was an interesting like idea and there's like some cool like visual approaches to it, but it wasn't one of my favorites.
0: Uh, and then that brings us up to Raven Hawk, which I saw earlier this year and loved. Have you guys seen Raven Hawk? I haven't.
2: Uh, I've seen some of it and thought it was dope. I haven't seen so the whole that thing one.
0: Yet. That one is a that was when I also got on VHS. My buddy Henry McComas, who for our listeners was on our two two part James Bond episode several years ago. Um, but he just picked this out and we got home and popped it in the VCR. And I had no idea that Pune made it until his name popped up in the credits. <laughs> uh, and then immediately got excited because I, I was just like, oh, this is gonna be, you know, unwatchable fun trash. Hopefully, I had no sense that it might also be awesome Pune trash. But this is another one where it stars a like a championship female bodybuilder, as Ben David was noting, heads has a thing for female bodybuilders to cast in his movies, but also great cast. It has Mitch Pelleggie from X files. And then more importantly, William Atherton, who's one of those guys who was everywhere in the eighties. And then I feel is not in enough stuff nineties and onwards, but Atherton is the villain. And this is uh, Rachel Mclish is her name playing a native American. She's not native American, but it's a it's a revenge movie where everyone she was like her family was killed as a kid. Now she comes back as a sexy adult and is just taking people out one by one. And much like Nights, it's all out in the desert and just amazing locations. And they have like a whole scene where she's dangling from the side of a bridge and throws somebody off. That Very clearly, they just got the actress out there, I assume safely. But, you know, it's real wild, cool filmmaking And as I also know before, this was from the great era of HBO original genre movies, but I highly recommend it, even though it's hard to find.
2: It's on my litterbox watch list. Uh, I think I have access to it. Nice. Someone did some good work of like finding a lot of his stuff and making rips of them. I'm not a guy who downloads movies, but I'm just saying if I can't buy a copy of a Pune movie, you are not going to stop me. You guys put it out or I'll pay for it. (laughs) (laughs) Um yeah. I, I all kinds after
0: this, other than Nemesis 4, which we already talked about, and Mean Guns, um, I've I've seen very few of these movies. Uh,
1: uh have uh, you seen Adrenaline? Fear the Rush? No, I've not.
0: Oh, Another that's Kostifer top five. Lambert. Top, top five. For me, yeah. I love it. It's uh I, I mean, I don't need much coaxing to watch a Pune movie.
1: It's pretty but. dope. You know, I just watched it the other night because I hadn't seen it and I knew we were going to talk about Pune and it kind of, it got taken away from him from, it was a Dimension Films release. And it got oh, taken Natasha away from Henstridge. him. Henstridge. It's tight, uh, hour, 20 minutes and I really dug it. Lots of Pune bullet time POV. On Tubi. And it's a that, horror movie. So many Pune movies are on Tubi. Yeah, I recommend, it's I don't know. It's the perfect like Tubi filmmaker. It's, it's a horror film and... I kind of dug it, man. I, I didn't think it was going to be any good. And I was kind of doing my own thing at first at, during the beginning. But then once the movie starts running and they get into their situation, I got really into it. And it's, you know, and that's the fun thing about these later uh, movies that the running time is usually wrong because the credits sometimes are like 10 minutes, <laughs> <laughs> you know? So the movie is shorter than what you think it's going to be. But, what
0: about uh... Omega Doom? Fact that Rudger Howard's in it is always exciting to me.
1: Haven't seen that Ben David,
2: uh, I've not seen that one or Blast. Okay. I'm just excited. There's other Rudger Howard movie, great. It's <laughs> mean Guns, which is the opposite of the other ones, which is it's a little long for a Pune movie, it's almost two hours, uh-huh. but it's so great that I don't give a shit.
0: Uh, well. Now we enter his iced tea, his like rapper phase. <laughs> he makes a bunch of movies with iced tea and Snoop Dogg.
2: So, Mean Guns yeah. is. They had a prison in L.A. It got finished and it was going to open in a month. Somehow he found out about this and got permission to shoot in there for two weeks before it became an actual prison. Had a script put together almost overnight where Ice-T plays a mobster who invites like all of his enemies under one roof of this prison that he apparently owns i don't remember why and i know the movie well but anyway he has access to this prison he puts everyone in there and then gives them all guns and uh the last man standing can leave it's such Uh, a great premise
0: i'm obsessed with that yeah
2: like christopher lambert you know who's an icon and then a lot of people from like other one of his movies and it's all these huge really well choreographed shootouts but he wasn't allowed to do any squibs or sparks or anything because he couldn't damage the prison. And somehow the scenes are still very exciting because they couldn't like mess up anything. But it's still like really kinetic, and it has one of the weirdest like scores ever. But in a way that like I really love, which is it's like um, it's like like mambo kind of music. Yeah, the music's it's... very weird. It, it's yeah, the music bizarre. What were you saying? No,
1: it's very bizarre. And I think the story was he was in a restaurant and he heard Mambo music and he's like, I'm going to score this movie with all Mambo music. I love it.
2: <laughs> yeah, and the whole, yeah, the whole thing is Mambo music. And it's, it's really fun because you're watching like really exciting scenes with music that is almost like anti-excitement. <laughs> so it has a really like idiosyncratic vibe. I just find it very fun. It's like definitely in that tarantino ripoff area era not area it's very post
0: tarantino uh, for sure been tone and dialogue. but it's
2: really fun and then the next one is a movie i did not see until they just played it at um los feliz 3 during that retrospective they had a beautiful 35 mm print 35 millimeter print of crazy six with uh rob Lowe, ice tea and burt reynolds how is it i i and couldn't it,
1: finish uh, it how is it
2: you know I really like it, but it also has like an egregious mistake, which is like there's a big shootout about a third of the way into the movie that causes all the drama. And the whole movie's building up to like all these people like confronting each other again. And then the final shootout is in the exact same location as the initial shootout. So the whole movie you're like, well, there's gonna be a really cool finale here where all these guys are gonna have the showdown, but it's back in the exact same club. So both of the shootouts are like shot and choreographed the exact same way so the movie has almost like a purgatory feeling to it which thematically kind of makes sense but there is an element of where it sort of feels like half of people were cast at random <laughs> but i i enjoyed it hmm. it's one of its lowest rated it's like a 2.7 imdb i think it might be the lowest rated movie of like his filmography which i think is unfair and i think Ice tea is pretty dope hmm.
0: it. i mean so many of these movies I just find it interesting that I've just so no, like I didn't even know that Snoop Dogg made this many movies, let alone several Elbert Pune movies. I remember trying to watch Ticker, his uh Steven Seagal movie and had a very tough time with that one.
2: Now I'm remembering why I had a low opinion of him is that I tried to watch Ticker as well. Like when it came out on DVD in like the early two thousands and it's a movie that is almost like half stock footage. And it's like a lot of it is like stock footage of explosions from other movies. Like it doesn't like, there's almost no connected tissue. It feels purely like the budget was just given to the movie stars and the movie stars shot for about 10 minutes. Oh, well I said it earlier, but the thing that's most amazing to me that if you ever watch mean guns is that Christopher Lambert is the lead. And I think the movie shot for 15 days and he shot for three and he is the lead
1: character,
2: <laughs> and it feels like they had the exact right amount of time they needed for him. It does not at all feel like a movie where you like shoot around somebody. I have no idea how they pulled that off. But
0: yeah. Ticker did not have any of the, the Albert Pune well, magic.
1: It was shot in 11 days for less than 600,000. And the thing ticker? about, yeah, or Ticker, me- no ticker. Yeah. And the thing that bugged me about it was because I kept seeing in like The High Reporter, the ad with Tom Sizemore next to Steven Seagal. I'm like, wow, what a combination. And then you're watching the movie. And they're both never in the same shot. So, you know, they shot them on separate days. You know, they're both having these conversations while they're walking together. And it just keeps cutting back to two separate things. And, and it drives you crazy. You know, it's like, oh, man, I just want to see them in one frame together. But it never happens.
2: It's a movie where you see the title and you see the cast and you're like, there's no way that this one isn't worth watching. And it's like Tom or Dennis Hopper, Steven Seagal, Jamie Presley, Nas. Peter Green, you know, the great Peter Green. Oh, yeah. Romney Malco, like all these people are in the movie, and yet there's almost zero entertainment value. And someone's going to listen to this who really loves Ticker, and I'm sorry, I'm not afraid. You know, I just, it's personally okay. That.
1: Yeah, it's not what it, I think Hop only shot for one day on it, too. Well, my main memory,
0: too, at the time was I mean, Seagal's like, career had already very much started to decline at that point. But the movies he made before this one were still like, you know, like exit wounds, you know, were still like legitimate kind of studio movies. And I was so shocked by what a non-movie this felt like.
1: Yeah, I think this was right when he was going straight to video because Pune was supposed to make another movie with him. And then his uh, rapper, double rapper movies came out and then Seagal like kind of didn't want to work on another Pune movie because he thought he was becoming a movie star again. And then he went back to made for video.
0: Well, I guess I will say, because I've seen very few of these and I didn't even bother trying to watch his Kevin Sorbo, uh, Sword and the Sorcerer follow up because I remember when it was coming out, seeing some clip of him behind the scenes shooting everything on like green screen and being like Mm -hmm. green screen is the exact thing I don't want from an Albert Pune movie. Uh, So I almost feel bad it's kind of a bummer that our our glorious tribute to him is just going to peter out into talking about movies we don't like. Does anyone love any of these final films?
2: I, I don't, and I don't want to be like, you know, I don't want to talk shit, but I, I I don't really find much to like enjoy in, in the rest of them. Yeah,
0: I think he just wasn't. You know, we talked about he's a guy who really knew what to do with his money, but I still mm-hmm. think he needed above a certain level of money and like a lot of those or all of those straight to video guys his career you can really track the decline of the straight to video market where they used to actually have you know small compared to a studio but like legitimate budgets to do things and again the fact that tales of the ancient empire say it again
2: the thing that you and I know, and we've talked about off mic a bunch, is just that you used to be able to do a lot more with less money.
0: Yeah. You could have crowd scenes, car crashes. You could get like
2: 35 millimeter. You could wreck 18 cars and have crowds. And then you still had like, that was like a million five or something. And then there's a point now where the when you have money like that, The you're really probably only getting like a third of it for production and then you're shooting on a bad camera with no lighting and less days like one of the things about these movies too it's like when you're shooting anamorphic 35 millimeter there is a bare minimum level of like aesthetic quality to that that like is transportive for me and kind of makes a movie feel like a movie. And then when you get into a zone where it's like you don't have money or lighting and it's like bad digital work, it's like uh, there's, there's not a lot of upside here. Unless there's a ghost shark. <laughs> there you go. And then, I, and then I'm in.
0: Uh, I was going to say, I forgot to mention, maybe to start looping back to movies of his we do love, um, that Mean Gun screening that Ben David and failed to see together, despite, I feel, trying twice and I just kept being wrong on what data was on. I saw that the American Cinematheque uploaded to YouTube. If you just Google Albert Pune mean guns, American Cinematheque, you'll find it. But actor Tom Matthews, cinematographer, George Marudian, however you say his name, and producer Paul Rosenblum were both there and they give a very nice little tribute. And uh, Marudian talks about shooting mean guns and that he tying this into the idea of the decline of this market is he felt like they were getting pressured on more and more of these movies to start figuring out how to do it digitally. So he was like, I'm going to do this on film. And so he shot all the stuff that takes place outside of the prison on like Kodak and all the stuff inside is Fuji or, you know, vice versa. It was just like, it was great to hear all the thought that was going into these movies that I, that otherwise I think outwardly seemed to people like stupid B movies that no one cared about. But I like
2: every movie that guy shot for him that they did together is worth watching. Like from an aesthetic perspective, they never repeat themselves. And a lot of the stuff like looks really fucking great.
1: Yeah, I'm curious to check out. I mean, he had a horror. I think his worst experience was Max Havoc. I think that's the last movie he did with film and Millennium took it away and gave it to Isaac Florentine to finish. And I think he had a hard time. That movie is supposed to there's lots of things online about it. But the one he did after that infection and I think it's also called Invasion from 2005. I haven't seen it, but that was shot in one night. He, uh, <laughs> he and, and it's one it's one continuous long take movie. And I think they tried it three oh, times. I See that. Yeah, I, I, I yeah, haven't it's actually watched got it 3.0 on letterbox. <laughs> yeah. So I'm curious to see that because I'm, I'm I got fascinated with like, you know, Tales of An- Ancient Empire. I talked to him about that when I interviewed him. That was shot for seven days. And then he did his Streets of Fire kind of fan film, Road to Hell. And that was another green screen fast shoot. And I think what was also happening during that period was he has dementia and he was losing his memory. And but he was still making these movies like he was still busy working. So maybe if we're not fans of him, but it's just the fact that he never stopped working. Definitely never stopped. And he was sick and imagine like you shoot one day and you go back to work and you can't remember what you shot the day before, you know, like inter like his uh, interstellar Civil War. He was doing 30 pages a day. Like that's insane. 30 script pages a day. So, I mean, he was hustling and losing his memory and but just still working. I find
2: find his his stuff inspiring even when I don't like it is the best way I can put it.
1: Yeah,
2: It's just just loved making movies, and he clearly wanted to do it until he couldn't anymore. And the yeah. fact
0: that he had all these people who would work with him over and over again, like, it, it just seems like they're all having a blast.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah, and one last thing. I Composer did, like, 90% of his movies. Yeah.
1: I also found this other little thing I was curious, because I haven't seen Urban Menace, and I haven't seen Corrupt, and I haven't seen The Wrecking Crew, that trilogy with Ice-T. And what he said was he shot Those three movies at the same time, like six days each in this other country, and half of each film's negative was lost by Air France during shipping. So the the final cuts had to be assembled from only half of what he shot from each film. So so all three films were damaged. And, like, that's, like, and, and that's the thing about him that just keeps hurting, you know? It's, like, when you keep hearing these stories, like, it's not his fault he shot that shit. Maybe those movies would have been, you know, I haven't seen them, so I can't judge them, but they're not the versions he wanted, you know? Like, his cyborg wasn't the version he wanted. A lot of these movies wasn't the version he wanted, but at least, you know.
2: Well, I, I'd say the most important thing that I want to just get across is that he rules. He has, like, one of the most of any of these guys nemesis has the best vhs box ever alien from la is the one that people should really check out they probably wouldn't have seen otherwise and the vinegar syndrome blu-ray is great uh and i mean guns is sick
0: actually that, that, that's, that's a the- good ending
2: yeah idea
0: steve what would be your like recommends to people
1: my recommends, I mean, I was just gonna compare them really quick to like in the 1980s, how John Carpenter and how John Landis, every movie they released was like different, you know, from like Starman, The Big Trouble in Little China to you know, you know, and then John Landis Into the Night, American Werewolf from London. He kind of had the same thing Sword and the Sorcerer, Radioactive Dreams, Down Twisted, Vicious Lips, Alien from LA. Like that's a cyborg, what a crazy, you know. Uh, but I don't know, my my two, I mean, I made a top five list, but they're like my more my personal yeah, favorites of they? him. And they would probably be, it's Cyborg, Nemesis, Sword and the Sorcerer, Dangerously Close, and Adrenaline. Those are my top five. It's a hard top five to make because I like a lot of his films. But um, it is a hard
0: top five. I mean, I'd say Nemesis and Cyborg are maybe his like slickest and most accessible action movies i mean doll man is doll i guess and i mean i i haven't seen alien from l.a since i was a kid but it's kind of the way i remember it you know are like weird movies but they're also kind of like goofy comedies in their own way um i mean sword and sorcerer which is maybe i i guess his most famous or at least it used to be because it came out same time as Conan and Beastmaster and was just, you know, one of the big tent poles of that. It's it screwing me up because it's the sword and sorcery <laughs> subgenre, but he was smart enough to just call the movie Sword and the Sorcerer. Kind of it's almost like his movie inspired the entire subgenre. And we didn't talk a lot about that movie specifically, but uh, I was a big fan of Richard Maul as a kid because of Night Court <laughs> and the movie House. So I was kind of obsessed with any movie he was in. <laughs> along with a lot of the Charles Band stuff from the 80s. The dungeon Master. Dungeon Master, hell yeah. I do feel...
2: any The word MasterNet is usually good.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I think we hit upon some good recommends. I mean, Down Twisted is very fun. It's been a while since I've seen it.
2: I mean, I left here with uh, some that I need to check out. I've seen, I think, about maybe 70% of his movies, but there's like a couple i would missed, like that now I definitely have more of like and I'm I'm
0: very curious to check out Adrenaline after Steve's hype.
2: Yeah, that's uh, I made a list of like three that I really want to check out soon. And uh, if you if I don't like it, Steve, you know, it's it's
1: you know, it's (laughs) Albert Pune level dimension films, I I liked it. I was surprised by it and I enjoyed it very much. I would, I would recommend that one. I mean, especially if you like nineties dimension films oddities, I was, I really dug it. And um, like I said, I rewatched blood match like last month and I was surprised at how it grew on me from the first viewing I first viewing I had that movie, I hated it. And then I'm watching it again. I'm like, wow, now I, some reason it opened up to me, but it's such an, odd mood. that's the thing that's the thing about film man it's like you can hate something and then you could go back years later and you can get a complete appreciation from it
0: yeah i hope this documentary gets made or doesn't and then steve and i can make one. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know if all the, the people he's interviewed are going to want to get re-interviewed but he, he's he's the perfect kind of filmmaker to get an amazing documentary that can kind of function like uh not quite Hollywood, you know, turn a whole generation of people onto him.
1: Yeah, there's too much. I mean, I bet even the movies that aren't very good, there's, in, I bet there's a sequence in it that's gonna blow your mind or something. I I, don't, I, I only saw Tickle once, but I still have scenes in my head those two <laughs> scene, those scenes, the of, scenes of Sizemore on one side of the screen talking to Skull on the other side of the screen. That cr- it cracks me up, you know, it's like
0: the power of Pune. Uh,
1: yeah good place to
0: end it thank you to our guest ben david grubinski for joining us yeah i mean this is probably coming out just next week actually so when does the scott pilgrim show drop
2: scott pilgrim takes off comes out november 17th on netflix worldwide yeah Um, all at once and my only thing i will tell you if you do listen to this and you have any interest in watching it and uh I would watch it quickly because there's stuff that the internet is going to spoil oh, very it's quickly.
0: in-show.
2: It doesn't have to be, but I would say that if you're not going to watch it uh, right after it comes out, I would stay off the internet forever. for a bit.
0: That's really my <laughs> only just forever. Yeah,
2: just never watch my show and never get back online.
0: That's- <laughs> it's your choice. Pick a sound. Yeah.
2: Or- All right, well... Thanks for having me, everybody. It was great to be on one of my yeah. yeah thanks man. for
0: listening and supporting the patreon you patreon maniacs uh, until next time this is josh miller and
1: steven Scarlotta
0: saying we won't see you at the movies